Welcome to Things That Will Help with Buffy Barfoot. This podcast explores what it's like to be human and how to find tools to feel clear, grounded, and happier. The weekly theme will be simple as well as rich and something you can apply to your real life. The human stories ahead do not negate the hard or the dark, but rather point to the lighthouses along the way. This is Buffy. Hey, everybody. I hope that you're well and okay, even in these tumultuous times. Um, What I want to talk about today, I feel like I need as much as anybody and um, just feel like this is something that perhaps is medicinal for all of us who are alive right now on this planet. Recently, I was sitting with a group of women that I meet with each month, and we were all going around the circle and checking in, just telling everybody where we were in that moment, all things considered. And some of the women were great, and some were tearful and going through significant hardships, and some were somewhere in the middle. And I wasn't really sure what I was going to say until it was my turn, because In those scenarios, I try to be as truthful and in the moment as possible rather than sharing something that's manicured or calculated. So when it got to me, I said, well, personally, I'm doing well. My little micro world is safe and warm and the things are, you know, in our little family's life are humming along pretty well. But I'm also feeling this heaviness and the sadness about the state of the world and the terrible things that are happening globally, the terrible things that are happening even locally. I read this morning there was a 16-year-old non-binary child whose name was Bex, who was tragically and senselessly killed in the school bathroom by other kids, and nobody even called the paramedics or an ambulance. And there wasn't even national news coverage until people started calling that out. So I'm concerned about the state of things, the genocide, the hatred, the fighting, the ignorance, the darkness, and the safety of all of our children and so many people always in question. And so all of this... And then raising my own children, holding the consciousness of all of it, and wondering how much energy to give what, how much to watch the news, wanting to stay informed and awake and in service to the whole, and realizing that the ability to turn down the volume of that is a privilege in and of itself. Also craving more grounding and peace and the noise to slow down and to simplify. And so I talked about that inside my check-in, inside the circle of women. And one of my teachers was nodding and as I was sharing this, and afterwards she shared a few things that really resonated with me that I wanted to pass along to all of you. She said, we're living in a time right now that is relentless and it's exhausting 
And it's not just one event or war or tragedy that has an end in sight. Things are happening so fast that we hardly have time to take a breath and digest today before we hear of something else tomorrow or even later today. And so it has me wondering, has this always been the case with things running into each other like this and dominoing? Or maybe it's just that we receive information so instantly now that it feels different than it used to feel. And she started to speak about a perspective that I've heard before, but was really helpful for me to hear again, this idea that everybody alive right now on the planet is like one body with one nervous system. We're all cells of the same body, theoretically. So our individual health and wellness is essential to the whole body. And if that's the case, it's important for us to keep our bodies and systems healthy as if they were just one single cell in this collective global body. And so as she explained that, I closed my eyes to imagine this. Our collective global nervous system absolutely needs healing, and it needs regulation, and it needs a reboot. So what my teacher said to me, to all of us in this women's circle, was that it's optimal to find places where we can thrive and feel good and be radiantly happy and healthy. And that should not come laced with guilt, but instead understood to be pouring back into the collective body's health and wellness. And that, and that felt really useful to me. I have layer upon layer upon layer of privilege, as many of you do. And so... Many times when I provide myself with self-care and joyful experiences, it can feel like an indulgence or a guilty pleasure that I don't deserve with all the harmful acts going on in the world. But she pointed to a way to potentially reframe it. When we rest, when we soak our bodies in hot water, when we take long walks, when we laugh deeply with friends, when we eat well, move, sit with our faces towards the sun for a handful of minutes every day. When we have the privilege to turn off the media for periods of time and sit alone in silence. When we play. When we wander in the woods, when we have long coffees with our dear friends in person. When we read all day under the covers. When we save up enough to go to the beach. All of these things and more things like this. These places of sweetness do not have to negate the horrors happening in the corners of the world. But on some energetic, cosmic level, they help to soothe one cell in the collective body, which supports healing. And so we have to begin with the most local thing we can affect, which is, of course, our own bodies and our own perspective. The healthier we are, the stronger our vessels are to hold steady in the storms that come. Mary Oliver says, 
You must not ever stop being whimsical and you must not ever give anyone else the responsibility for your life. I saw an Instagram post from Hillary Clinton a couple of weeks ago. It was lighthearted and it said something like, Congratulations to Taylor Swift's boyfriend for winning the Super Bowl, which of course was a feminist comment that is multi-layered and bound to get a reaction from all different sides. But some of the comments below her post were blasting Hillary for saying something pop culture related and light instead of using her platform to say something about Gaza. Regardless of how I feel about Hillary or Taylor Swift or the NFL or the buzz around all of that, I thought, you know, it doesn't negate the horrors that are happening in the world if someone highlights something else and adds a little bit of levity. Especially when it's someone who historically has and does regularly address such serious issues. Otis, my eight-year-old, we got an email yesterday from his school that the water main had burst and was in need of repair. And the principal emailed the parents to say that maybe school would be canceled in the event that they couldn't repair it by the start of the school day. And so Otis went to sleep thinking that that was a real possibility and he wanted to stay home. He specifically wanted to stay home and go to Vivi school, which is basically... (laughs) hanging out with my mom all day while she makes him a schedule and they read together and do fun projects, which is super awesome. I woke up at 6 a.m. to an email that said the water main was restored and the school was going to be open. And when Otis found out, he was so disappointed. And he looked at me and he said, with just big crocodile tears in his eyes, he said, this is the worst day of my life. And I almost choked on my coffee. (laughs) And I wanted to say, oh, honey, if this is the worst day of your life, well, then you are a very lucky boy. Which, of course, he is a very lucky boy. But I knew that what I needed to do in that moment was to validate his disappointment, but require him to move through it and to get dressed for school. I don't think in that moment it would have been helpful to shame him by explaining all the things that children with less privilege all over the world are up against every day. Because that can all be true alongside his disappointment. And there's going to be time for him to understand all that as we go, and his view of the world is going to grow with more education and exposure. But I just decided to hold him where he was because I knew that was important. I remember the summer that Benjamin died, there was this moment that was my first laugh. I remember laughing, like belly laughing, for the first time after he died. And how immediately sad and sorry I felt, ashamed, really, for feeling joy in the midst of that. And I understand now, of course, that we can't clamp ourselves down like that, but it was a really confusing moment for me. Whenever I have a feeling that's hard to put into one word, I turn to the dictionary for obscure sorrows, which is this brilliant book. It's a collection of made up words that have meanings we all have experienced at one time or another. And this book written by John Koenig is just really special. And 
here is his word kinchy, which is an adjective. And it means feeling guilty that you care about your own petty concerns more deeply than faraway cataclysms, that a family spat hurts more than a civil war, that a three-day fever hits you more than climate change. And it's originally born out of the Japanese word kinchi, meaning nearsightedness. That joy, peace, deeply feeling the goodness of life can only support healing and growth. We're all individually and collectively more in need of this. And for sure, the collective body needs more. And it's also infectious. It spreads and it moves out in concentric circles and transfers into the bones of those in proximity to it. Thank goodness. I think also something to remember is that it doesn't have to be an escape. You can stay in tune, engaged, and educated about what's happening in the world and still be light and feel good. We don't have to carry everything on our shoulders in order to stay awake and aware. If we let ourselves come to things naturally and let what comes, comes, then we will start to learn the rhythms of our own grief and our own pleasure, which is so personal and not like anyone else's timeline. I have two dear friends, both of whom have lost their sons in the last two years, and I've shared space with them both and listened to their stories and their heartbreak separately. And there are similarities, but their paths and the way they are grieving is astoundingly different, which is teaching me about the human heart, what we can each bear, what we inherit, and how we mulch the details of our lives to make things grow is so personal. There's not one way to do this. There's not one way to grieve, and there's not one way to feel pleasure. There's your way that is different than my way, that is different than her way, that is different than his way, that is different than their way. And it all paves its way back to learning to love more ourselves and the ones around us, the ones we're responsible for, but also the ones who cross our life stories that we didn't expect. I think it all matters. We do not have to dim our daily experience just because there's genocide happening, but we shouldn't close our eyes or put on blinders either. Rumi says, a moment of happiness, you and I sitting on the veranda, apparently two, but one in soul, you and I. We feel the flowing water of life here, you and I, with the garden's beauty and the birds singing. The stars will be watching us. And we will show them what it is to be a thin crescent moon. You and I, unselfed, will be together, indifferent to idle speculation, you and I. The parrots of heaven will be cracking sugar as we laugh together, you and I. In one form upon this earth and in another form in a timeless sweet land. Love as big as you can. Laugh, and I mean belly laugh, loud and heartily, even when the wars are raging. Listen to the events happening in 
the different parts of the world, hold vigil, speak out, move the needle where you can, have conversations about change and how to change the world, but also love your body up, move and sweat every day so that you can show up and feel good, eat well, unprocessed and clean as much as possible, as much as you can afford, scream when it gets to be too much, release valves are super important. But be luxurious, too. Wander around in your pajamas and create without feeling guilty. We're only going to be here for a few minutes. Feel the whole arc and take as good of care to enjoy it as you can. There's always going to be all things at once. And there are those of us who are lucky enough to feel it all. Valerie Hawes writes, Climbing up the path, I step aside, delighted by the fragrance of roses upon the garden wall. He meets me at the gate, gives me welcome and a cup. I drink his wine and lose myself in drunken loving among the roses. Asleep in two worlds, no fear or pain, content where I am until it's time to climb again. I cannot remain lingering between I tell him so, he smiles, pins a rose upon my breast, guides me back into the path. Now he joins me in my quest and fills my time, increasing my capacity for wine. Here you are. You are, I know you. And here am I, who you know well. Again we dwell in form together, and I'm beginning to remember as I watch you shine and project your wondrous magic. Show upon this place and time. There's a shadow on the window in stencil definition. Shaped in the outline of a rose. The shadows of a cane with a flower at its tip. Leaves and thorns all along the length of it. Well framed on the dusty window pane. Real as a shadow, but not as a rose. It moves, although never touched by the wind. Outside, the real rose glows in the morning sun. Thank you to Jennifer, one of my dear teachers, for shedding light where I really needed it this week. To those of you listening, thank you. To my dear patrons, thank you. To Alex, my person in this creative life. To the artists out there still making art in these times to those who laugh easily and teach us to play, to those who let themselves cry for the collective. Thank you. So much love. Whose name was next, Benedict? was tragically and senselessly killed in a school bathroom. Whose name was next Benedict, who was tragically and senselessly killed in a school bathroom. <laughs>